This podcast represents my opinions and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have. Welcome, welcome, everyone. You're listening to the very first episode, the inaugural episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Diedrichsen, and I'm here with the star of our show, Mr. Not Your Doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. Hi, Say hey. How are you? <laughs> We're good. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. I'm glad that we actually get to do this and make some progress and a, a finished product for all of our, our many hours of jabbering away yes you're at the right clinic. absolutely there's <laughs> lots of information a lot of experience that we're going to bring together with some uh, scientific data to help our uh, guests and listeners uh, um, know more about medical care in general and it's, uh, mental health uh, physical health spiritual health sweet Okay, so um, basically we're going to give you guys a little um, overview of who we are, why we're here, what we're doing this for. Um, obviously, it'll always start with the fact that Dr. Tadros is not your doc. That's right. <laughs> and if you need help, where should people go, Dr. Tadros? I want everybody, because I'm a primary care physician by training, to have their own primary care physician or their specialist or the, for emergencies, certainly any of the emergency services that are available mm -hmm. through um, 911 if they have medical or mental health emergencies and for suicidal um, ideation, suicidal thoughts. Um, there's a national uh, number that we're going to put at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that new uh, 988 number is uh, working well too for mental health. That's certainly active um, in Missouri now. Okay, so just one more time so we're totally clear. What are we not here to do, Dr. Tadros? We're not here to give specific medical advice for any of your conditions. We are going to talk about generalities, about general medical conditions that we see all the time in my practice and uh, in our clinic. And broader stuff than that too, right? That's right. Yeah, how it affects people and the emotional aspects that are brought into it. I, I think it's gonna be a good time. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, we're speaking today in the Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds studio. You and I both work here. That's right. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about Midwest Institute, Dr. Tadros. Yeah, I'm a co-founder with uh, Dr. Farugi. Uh, we started talking eight years ago about the use of ketamine as add-on therapy for antidepressants for people with treatment-resistant depression. So we started talking eight years ago, started going to meetings, and about six years ago, we started infusions. It's an IV therapy with ketamine, which is an anesthetic, but we don't actually use it as an anesthetic in our office. We use it subtherapeutically. It means much, much lower dose than you'd get if you were going under for anesthesia for surgery. And it turns out that people accidentally over many decades have figured out that low doses of ketamine repeatedly used can help people with what we call treatment-resistant depression. This is uh, depression that is uh, resistant to being treated with the typical therapies like Prozac and talk therapy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, are, are we finding overall that we're having pretty good results with people? Yes. Our patients don't come to us uh, just because of depression. They oftentimes have other comorbidities, other things that are going on, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, 
chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting responses probably in the 70 to 80% of the people that um, uh, use our therapy. Um, it's not a cure, um, and it's not FDA approved for any of the c- conditions, but fortunately in the United States, the FDA, once it approves a drug like ketamine, uh, medical practitioners can use it for whatever is medically deemed necessary. And fortunately, it's become uh, unofficially a standard of care for treatment-resistant depression to use ketamine as uh, additional therapy if other therapies haven't hel- uh, mm-hmm. been helpful for depression specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So what's specifically your role at the clinic? Sure, I'm a co-founder. I'm an internist by training, a primary care physician. So I spent many decades, about a little more than two and a half decades, talking to people, understanding all their concerns, all their health concerns, um, and as well as their family history, their social history, uh, their medications, um, uh, what, what, what testing, what specialists that they've seen in the past. So I've kind of put it together, and that's what I use here. Uh, we meet with uh, uh, patients and their families or patients and their loved ones um, to whenever they're referred to us, and uh, I'm the one that sits down with them, uh, typically an hour and a half plus, um, at no cost to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a way for us to understand where the patients coming from, when the person or client is coming from in terms of their health, what their hopes and expectations are, what they've heard about ketamine, and uh, for us to um, to meet expectations, we have to understand quite a bit about the patient, um, and uh, for them to be able to see us, talk to us, uh, visit the clinic, and then they can make an informed decision yeah. if they want ketamine or not. Absolutely. And how you and I know each other actually, you know, started with me sitting across from you in one of oh, those conversations. We're going to go there. Okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. I was a, um, I was a patient at Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds in the uh, very beginning of 2017. So my relationship with you and Dr. Frugi and Aaron goes back that far. Mm-hmm. And um, since July of last year, I've been serving as the patient care coordinator. That's right. So... Whenever anyone calls in, sends an email, a text message wanting more information, I'm the one that communicates with them. I set up those meetings with you. Um, Sometimes I share a little bit from personal experience about what to expect for the whole process. Mm Um, but, you know, typically I'm doing everything else except for injecting people with drugs. So, That's right. Um, but I feel like we make a pretty good team. Yep. Vanessa is the first contact for almost anybody, whether it's by phone, by email, by text. Uh, she's the first contact pretty typically uh, for, uh, uh, for our clinic. And uh, she's done a fabulous job. And is, uh, is, uh, we would have liked to have brought you on much sooner. But uh, <laughs> what, what good timing for us. Uh, and hopefully it's for you, too. Yeah, it's worked out great for me as well. Absolutely. Um, okay, so Dr. Tadros, tell us a, a little bit more about your your past experience and what what you do now as a physician. Sure, uh, you know I you know I I, I, I my mother way back in, um, in in mid to late seventies um, had significant depression as part of her bipolar disease. So mm-hmm. bipolar is manic and depression, yeah. and her depression was severe. And um, back then we didn't have as many medicines as we do now. Uh, but uh, we besides medicines failing her, uh, we used to drive all the way. To to, from Southern Illinois, where we lived, to St. Louis for ECT, electroconvulsive therapy mm-hmm. or shock therapy. That's how bad her depression was. By the way, ECT is still available as an FDA-approved treatment for treatment-resistant depression. Yeah. It's probably the gold standard still for decades now as the uh, the best way to, to relieve depression that's uh, failed everything else. Um, but so that's my interest started there mm-hmm. because it was it ran in my family's depression and um, I eventually went to, to med school here in St. Louis at St. Louis University School of Medicine 
and eventually did my residency at St. John's Mercy Medical Center. Now it's called Mercy on Ballas. And um, I started as an internist, uh, primary care physician, took care of people from 15 years of age till uh, till uh, they passed away. Um, so I've been fortunate to see people through many years, if not decades, of health and illness. Um, and uh, eventually, I, uh, many years ago, I started uh, um, at, uh, back then it was St. Anthony's. Now it's called Mercy uh, South uh, as a uh, as a hospice medical director. So I added that to my primary care. I was doing it simultaneously, and uh, now I'm uh, I just stopped working as a primary care physician about a year ago, a year and a half ago. So I, I, I'm doing a little bit of hospice, but um, almost all my time is with the ketamine clinic, the Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds. Yeah. So given your you know, very rich history and experience. You've got a bunch of different things contributing to your interests. What are you the most interested in helping people with now? Yeah, I, what I found over almost 30 years of, of, of taking care of patients as primary care is that I repeat myself a lot for a lot of common, <laughs> common conditions, common complaints, common conditions, whether it's hypertension or obesity or depression. And it turns out that um, uh, these are really chronic conditions that means that they tend to last a long time. Some of them are not cured, curable. Um, and so if you break a leg, you're better in 12 weeks with a cast or a pinning. If you have strep throat, you're better in a few days with amoxicillin. But the stuff that I tended to repeat myself on over and over again, whether it's to the same patient or different patients over time mm. is these chronic conditions and depression it happens to be one of them uh, anxiety ocd addiction uh ptsd uh chronic pain these are very difficult uh, debilitating diseases that uh, cost the patient and their loved ones a lot of time energy and money um cost the system the medical system a lot of energy uh, and uh, lots of energy uh, from practitioners a lot of money um and so what i recognize is i was um uh, i was helping a diabetic not lose their leg or go blind, but I was not making them, uh, I was not cure their diabetes. Yeah. I can help a person after a stroke or heart attack, not have a, a decrease of chance of another stroke or heart attack, but I was not removing the arch atherosclerosis from their arteries or the AFib from their, uh, from their irregular heartbeat that caused their problems. Yeah. So um, what I recognize is that there's a lot of stuff that can be done that's outside the medical system way earlier. Um, and that's part of what we're going to bring into the into our talk. <clears throat> uh, not always going to talk about depression and anxiety and PTSD, but we're going to talk about medical stuff that as a primary care physician I had dealt with. Um, and um, and we're going to incorporate the, incorporate all these things and how people really live every day. Yeah, absolutely. That's include their family and their friends because uh, illness, uh, chronic illness, is not just in your body; it extends beyond. Absolutely, into your whole circle for sure. That's right. Um, I know that you and I are pretty similar in that we're external processors about a lot of things. We we make a lot of connections in our brains and. Um, see connections between so many different things, whether it's about patients or ourselves or our families or our memories or our personality traits. Um, and your main outlet for these thoughts has been um, your blog called the Not Your Doc blog that you've been working on for how long now? Uh, about a year and a half now. Okay. I guess it's, yeah, yeah. About a year and a half now. So, I mean, like, talk about how that has kind of been an inspiration to, or at least a workshop for mm -hmm. what we're going to be doing with the podcast. You know, some people journal and other people just let stuff stew in their, uh, in their noggin for a while. But uh, as I kind of retired from primary care about a year and a half ago, I, I, I needed an outlet because um, 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 I, I was not talking to pa patients directly as much anymore for primary care. I was certainly doing it 
quite a bit for the for the our clinic, our ketamine clinic. But I recognize that the same thoughts keep coming up and over, uh, up over and over in terms of how to help people, how how what kind of recurring problems people are seeing and having, how it affects them. So I started just writing kind of um, uh, uh, thoughts that popped up as in terms of conditions and associations and uh, uh, with with treatments, etc. Um, so I started kind of listing it, and, and it's, a, it's a small blog, but I've, I have over 500 entries and another 700 entries okay. that I haven't published. So, <laughs> so I've, a lot of a lot of stuff bouncing around in my head for Lots many years. Lots of year, thoughts, yeah, many absolutely. years, yeah. So it's fun. So okay, cool. So, um, what have you? What big overarching ideas do you think you've kind of distilled down from that that you really want to bring forward with this pod? Yeah, good question. Um, Number one, if you become part of the medical system, it's kind of envelops you. Uh, it's 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 paternalistic in a positive way. Uh, <laughs> as when you positive com- as it can be, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you come in with a problem, it becomes problem focused. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not a holistic. Uh, and I'm not talking about buying herbs and vitamins and stuff like that, but just an overall arch. If if you have back pain. How do you sit? How do you sleep? What's your work? What's, you know, how much weight have you gained? And, uh, you know, what have you done in the past whenever you've had back problems? So all these things that we recognize that once you're plugged into the system with any chronic condition, pain, depression, anxiety, you end up going down this rabbit hole of, of treatments and, 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 and some successes, a lot of disappointments and lots of recurrences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that ends up filling my day as a primary care physician, a lot of chronic stuff that's also recurring that gets better for a while or improved and, and then it kind of relapses. Yeah. Um, so I think we can empower people. We're not actually giving them power. They already have the power. We just, we're highlighting for them what they can do. And I think a lot of stuff is just not explained well. Hmm. I think people's beliefs about how they get ill and how to get better, um, uh, especially coming from somebody like me, an allopath, an MD, uh, as opposed to uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the uh, integrative and complementary and uh, alternative medicine and other uh, um, professions. Um, uh, I think I think it carries some weight that whenever I tell you I could put you on three and four diabetic medicines and I could help your A1C, your three month blood sugar right. control, but I. But it comes at too great of a cost, mm. even though I know how to do it and I know where to send you. It just is too great of a cost. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. So what, what do you think would be the goal of kind of arming people who are listening with this kind of information? What what mm-hmm. do you hope they can do for sure. themselves? Yeah, like any, any, anybody who teaches, it's, it's not not just how, uh, what to think, but how to think, mm. how to how to look at yourself, how to look at information, where to go for resources, how soon to go for resources and how soon to ask for help. I think is I think is part of what I want people to do. It's not necessarily specifics because whether it's depression or back pain or or anything irritable bowel. There there are a variety of, of, of issues that confound. But but I want people to think how uh, I would think through the problems mm-hmm. uh, as an internist, as somebody who spends thousands of hours over many years, kind of talking about this stuff and having so, to make sure that my diagnoses are right. Yeah. You know, that's important for patients to know they want to have the right diagnosis. Then the treatment kind of follows. If you sure. have the right diagnosis, then the treatment tends to follow more easily. Yeah. So I think what I hear you saying is that you're you wanting, you're wanting to help people to open their minds more, to think more systematically the way you would think about something and maybe less emotionally. Yes. And, you know, interested in self-treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know uh, physicians and other health practitioners and uh, and I, I say physicians, but uh, there are nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and a lot of other uh, uh, healthcare providers uh, that give advice and and uh, and 
patients and their families avail themselves and, and have had good results. But I want people to also understand that they have they have power um, right. and, and, and not to be shy about. You don't have to know everything medical. If you have a, a toenail is discolored, you know, you don't have to know all medical care, uh, You mm-hmm. but you're able to f- figure out some things. It's not just by Googling everything. By the way, I do Google stuff. All the time. <laughs> I Google in front of the patients, too. Oh, so Doctors, I tell people. Doctors, they're just like us. Yeah. <laughs> so I want people to know Google is, is okay. It tends to show you the worst of the worst, but it's okay to, to use Google. Yeah. I, I like that you talk about that sense of empowerment to not just, like, put a fire hose in people's faces of, like, warnings and bad news and information and then leave people feeling like they don't know what to do with it. I think that's, uh, you know, not just with medical concerns, but with mental health too. Like we have to feel like we have some sort of agency over, um, you know, controlling our conditions and, you know, taking care of ourselves mental health wise, physical health wise. Um, and I think that's definitely going to be a big, uh, you know, uh, just a, a primary, motivation for us to do this yeah. is for people to really feel like they have some some, some control and can have some uh, say so in what's going on. People can't see me nodding my head through everything that <laughs> Vanessa's saying, but I'm nodding my head. Absolutely. I, I, I want people to stay healthy uh, and to, to figure out how to um, get data points, uh, whether it's yeah. blood pressures or sugars. There's a bunch of techniques now, now that we're in 2022, there's a bunch of techniques um, some of it you have to get a prescription from a physician or medical practitioner, but a lot of stuff you can do yourself in terms of uh, understanding what's happening with your body, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah. I think the other thing you said, too, that I really liked is, you know, just about things just aren't explained very well. Sometimes the diagnosis is just put out there and people don't really understand how it actually functions within your body, what can really be done behavior wise, diet wise, exercise wise to control some of those outcomes and then they just sort of trust that whatever medication is being prescribed from them is going to somehow help with the diagnosis. Yeah. And that's uh, kind of that can leave people feeling frustrated or or scared or unsure if the one thing that they're told to try is doesn't seem to be solving their problem. Well, I, I even go before that. A lot of people don't know what their diagnoses are. And mm. a lot of medical charts, people have more access to the medical charts now than the electronic health records. Um, uh, but the, a lot of people are shocked what's in the medical record about diagnoses. Or the obesity is a, is a medical term. People think it's a derogatory term, but it's actually a medical term. Mm. But your body mass index uh, of 40, you know, morbid obesity, 40, 40 and above, for instance. But uh, it's, it's not that people are, are judging is that it puts you at extreme high risk for select things, um, strokes and, and diabetes and heart attacks and heart failure, arthritis, et cetera, sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of people really don't know what's in their chart. I've had more than one patient not recognize that whenever I told them that they have some chronic kidney disease from their hypertension, and then they get the chart and they look at it and they say chronic kidney disease stage three, they're shocked. They think, you know, mm. they're close to, they should be going on dialysis. And so yeah. for me to recognize that me saying these words, chronic kidney disease or chronic renal failure or chronic renal insufficiency, these are all the second ones are old terms went over their head and it's a big deal because it shows end organ problems. The uh, organs that are are being destroyed, partially destroyed uh, from, from their hypertension. So, uh, so there's people don't know what, when people go see a psychiatrist, they don't really know what's in uh, what's in the chart. There's a comedian recently. um, She, um, she had a long history of depression 
She got a prescription for something called lamictal lamotrigine, which is an anti-seizure medicine, but it's also used for bipolar disease. And and uh, she, she before she took it, she looked at the at the um, product insert and said, went to her doctor, says, "Do you think I have bipolar?" And the doctor says, "Uh, yeah, maybe you do." So that's how she <laughs> found out. She, that's how she found out she was bipolar, is because you know she went and did her own little look see at yeah. lamotrigine, and that's a shame that anybody should. Um, have to figure it out on their own. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, destabilizing in some ways to right. have that announced to you all of a sudden. So right. I think definitely this, um, you know, that goal of empowerment and giving people that sense of autonomy to they're, they're in control. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So, um, we, you know, kind of talked about what to expect, um, what sort of topics we're going to hit. Um, maybe you can tell us in a, a little bit more detail some of the other things that we're going to talk about. Obviously, generally, mental health, the health system. Um, we're not really going to talk about ketamine on here very much. We're, you know, sponsored by a ketamine clinic, but we're not going to talk about ketamine very much because there's so much more to say. There's, we, we should say a little bit about ketamine, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, but the answer is it's far more than ketamine. Uh, as anything, if you um, pull on a, a thread, uh, you know, you, uh, you undo the whole sweater. Right. So it's all it's all linked. Uh, so I want people to see the links, uh, the linkages. And a lot of the stuff is going to me be uh, my saying some of your how you delegate your time in your life uh, between work and family and stuff, uh, I'm going to ask people, some people to consider, I'm not going to demand anything, but consider rearranging some of their priorities uh, because of the consequences are so significant, not just to them, but to their family. Because once somebody has a chronic illness, it impacts their ability to everything from, from participate with their kids, uh, playing to having sex to making money. So, right. yeah. So I, we'll talk about priorities in your people's lives. Cool. How about guests? Are we going to have any experts on here? Absolutely, we're we're going to talk to people that uh, that I believe bring some a perspective, a real life uh, perspective to what they do uh, well. We'll we'll bring on certainly my business partner uh, to talk more about the ketamine, but we're we're going to talk to everybody from uh, medical professionals to also uh, regular folk that uh, have helped me become the doctor I am today. So that's I'm looking forward to um, the stories from from people that. We, we, that we touch their lives and they educate me every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a lot to look forward to. Um, so I, I guess I want to follow up just on the guests. Like what, what do you think the value is of having, you know, experts join us here and what do you want folks to look forward to in hearing from those guests? I think there, everybody's an expert on something in their lives, right? But there's also lots of experts out there. We get a lot of, you know, on social media, on the internet, and it's kind of like everybody's an expert on everything. Yeah. So how are you going to go about picking the people that are going to be here and what do you what do you want us to trust about your process when you're picking those guests? Well, certainly we're learning along the way, but I my purpose is not to sell people on anything, products, mm-hmm. et cetera. I want people to see how our guests experience things, how they think through things, how they've survived, how they flourished. So I'm looking for real life stories that are not sales pitches. Um, I think that that I think not selling products and uh, it helps people understand. Um, that uh, that uh, that there's some stuff that can be done without a lot of extra expense. It's just rearranging priorities and having better information. Yeah. Okay. Fabulous. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I mean, all right. So we've kind of told you all, how, you know, who we are, why we're here. 
Um, we want to give you a little bit of a, a little teaser on some of the stuff that you might look forward to. So we're going to we're going to pose a couple of questions here to, to Dr. Tadros and have him uh, expound a little bit for us so you can get a flavor of some more of the content that's going to be forthcoming. So um, my first question for you, Dr. Tadros, mm-hmm. that I'm sure inquiring minds want to know. Why does it take so long for my doctor's office to get back to me? Uh, like, I just want to make an appointment. I just want to get a question answered. Like, why do they take so long to get it back to me? Well, there's probably dozens of different reasons, but I generally categorize them as um, um, pretty dang busy and and poor systems and infrastructure. Hmm. Uh, so uh, even if people are very busy and have great systems, sometimes they have a hard time getting back to people, whether it's by phone or, or through your your. Uh, your web por- their web portal, um, so that's the first thing. But a lot of a lot of physicians, a lot of medical practices, a lot of uh, even universities that are where we send our most difficult patients, the most complicated ones, are not are not set up with good systems. They don't have the enough people. They don't have the right type of people. They don't have the electronic systems. Um, there are gaps, uh, stuff that falls through the cracks, and that's where you have to advocate for yourself. And we'll talk about that. What it means to advocate without being too pushy, um, uh, and when to decide to cut bait and run. Uh, mm. You know, just sometimes it's not worth it. You recognize if this is the way it's going to be up front that maybe you don't want to be part of that practice. Um, not because they're not good people. It's just because it's, if the way it starts is the way it's probably going to continue oftentimes. There's a difference between a brand new patient where they don't know you, don't have medical right. records, versus an established patient where they have the records and stuff like that. Um, so there's a big difference there. But uh, there's no doubt. Um, go where you're loved, and uh, we'll, we'll mm. talk. We'll talk about that. Okay. So we shouldn't just give up. No. Out of frustration and never see a dentist or an That's orthopedist good. for a bone issue. <laughs> now I know. Now I, now I know what you're. Now, now I know what you're going after. Yeah, the quickie answer is no, and this that's the frustration for people. You know, they've been on the phone. They've been, you know, they've sent in multiple requests. Some things are emergencies or semi-emergent. Um, so we can we'll talk about some of these things. Um, and sometimes it's nice to have outside people help you get uh, get in. Uh, certainly, as a medical professional, I certainly have access to uh, you know uh, uh, labs and other medical professionals, uh, maybe outside the typical stream that uh, typical phone numbers that other people can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I also recognize the frustration of of of, of uh, I entered my data, for instance, in my own physician's electronic medical record. Uh, several years ago, nobody doubled, nobody brought in my medication list. So you put it in, and mm. somebody's going to check it uh, medically in that office and check it, and make sure it's correct, and then and make it permanent. But a few years later, I go to another medical office that's on the same system. They don't know my medications, yeah. and it's because the first office didn't do their uh, piece of it. So it's uh, it's frustrating and adds time, mm. energy, and frustration. And sometimes there's mistakes. Obviously, they assume that they have all the correct information. It's not correct. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'll help people to be tenacious you know, and knowing the difficulties that medical offices are facing, just like any of our other workplaces. They do. However, to still advocate for ourselves and take care of ourselves because it's not right. the office's responsibility to make sure I get my prescription refilled or my annual physical or any of those things. Yes, there, there are systems. Uh, some of the offices are very good with electronic medical record systems where they do have uh, tickler reminders for them uh, to contact you or for the, the, it comes to you directly by, by, by your email or text or whatever technique. But in, in the end... I have to put things on my Google calendar for my next colonoscopy. I don't just rely on my colonoscopist to remind me three, yeah. three to five years later, which is my next colonoscopy three to five years later. To, you know, to, They kind of expect me to remember three to five years down the line. For sure. 
Okay, so then I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot another one at you. So as a millennial myself, um, I we were pretty much brought up um, with the mantra of follow your passion. Whatever we liked, whatever we were good at, our parents usually encouraged it. Our mm-hmm. friends and family usually encouraged it. Teachers usually encouraged us to follow our passion. Um, so you know, some sometimes we can also feel a little bit rudderless, like what is my passion? Or I don't really know if I have a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can make it difficult to like start new things that maybe we aren't so passionate about, like healthier behaviors, exercising, eating better, quitting smoking, any of those things. I do not have a passion for giving up my favorite bad habits. How am I supposed to get motivated or stay motivated to do that? Sure. I think a lot, a lot of uh, as somebody who's treated depression for thirty years, not just with ketamine for the last uh, last six years, but uh, I recognize that um, certainly there are some uh, humps that is to get started. The the, the the mountain you have every molehill, every small hill feels like a mountain whenever people are trying to start anything or change anything. Um, but uh, it turns out that. Uh, even though sometimes energy draining initially, it feels like it's sucking your will to live. Uh, that <laughs> totally. that there, there's value. There's value, and that's that's why you have mentors and coaches and spouses and partners to help you out. But the kicker is you have to be vulnerable to say I'm drowning here, or I don't know where to start, or every time I start it just it just is horrendous. Um, uh, and some people it's help with medicines, help first of all with right diagnoses, mm. and then sometimes with medicines, not always. A lot of times you need special counseling, and sometimes. Uh, it is just plain old uh, understanding that you're going to have to grind through some difficulties before before you see some uh, some benefits, some positive effects. So, uh, so so pursuing my passion is or even a new thing that I want to try is not always going to make me feel immediately good. That's correct. So a, a lot of stuff. Uh, so whether it's passion for work, we can talk about that in terms of earning income, et cetera. But passions in terms of anything else, in terms of your health, in terms of family, in terms of spirituality. Um, uh, some of the stuff is not going to always feel right before uh, you get the, the, the positive effects that for yourself or the receiver and other people around you. So if we were going to change the mantra from follow your passion, what would you want it to say? I'd say follow your energy. And other people have said this. I'm not going to say anything uh, dramatic here, but it's follow your energy. Um, if you're an introvert, um, you know, if you're an extra, if you're in a, in a public setting, uh, social setting, you may feel decreased energy uh, from that. So uh, so part of that stuff is I'm not telling people to avoid social situations mm. or become a hermit, but uh, but to recognize that. And I think a lot of people just kind of push through some of the mental and physical signs and symptoms. Um, and so I think follow your energy may be a little more accurate um, than follow your passion for a lot of things. And we can talk, it'll be fun to talk about these things and okay. hear from the audience. Absolutely. Okay, so don't follow your passion, follow your energy, folks. All right, um, that's pretty much what you got, look, got to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to get involved with the pod and let us know about topics you'd like to hear more about, uh, you can go ahead and email us at notyourdocpod. That's N-O-T-U-Y-O-U-R-D-O-C-Pod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback, what you'd like to hear about. Questions for the doc are always welcome. And we're going to see you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Tadros. You're welcome. Looking forward to talking more and seeing you again. So thank you. This previous podcast represents 
my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.